0: Hi, welcome to Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show we'll be looking at Spike Lee, I was going to say John David Washington, Spike Lee's uh, newest romp through our divisive political landscape in his new film, Black Klansman, and taking a look back at Clint Eastwood's award-winning 2004 film, Million Dollar Baby, now available on Netflix, for those of you who are Clint Eastwood fans. And we want to have a discussion about august at the movies somewhere in between those two and we'll do that in our death of cinema segment before we get to all of that we got a few news stories three at the top of the show to talk about this week the first from the weekend box office jason statham's the meg has a surprisingly huge bite hilarious uh (laughs) hollywoodreporter.com with 45.3 million dollar u.s debut incredible andy
1: so Whenever I saw the trailer for this, my first thought was, "This movie is dumb. It looks stupid. It is it, dumb. It um, it just looks ridiculous, and it's going to make a bunch of money." <laughs> like See, it, I didn't think it would make a lot of money. I, I was not in the make a lot of money camp. I, I just it, it seemed like the kind of things that would uh, you know, that people go out to the movies for in the summer. Yeah, but bunch of people getting eaten by a giant, <sighs> giant shark.
0: I didn't get that at all. I I, I was conflicted about this movie because when I first saw the trailer, like the first bit. Of course, it looks hokey, it looks cheesy, but I was like, "Hey, a giant shark movie. It's been a while since I've seen one of those. Maybe there's something to it. Sure, why not?" And then it got in with like the cheesy music and it's rated mm-hmm. PG-13, and I figured, okay, this is gonna be this is gonna be dumb. It's gonna be like Piranha 3D. Like, who cares? You know, what, what does it matter? And clearly, people cared. People people turned yeah. out for
1: it. Apparently, it was actually supposed to be a lot more like violent and gory. And even uh, I saw an article that Jason Th- Statham was it was surprised. Excuse me. um, By by the lack of of kind of uh, gore or because they had filmed a lot of that apparently.
0: Right. Well, there's a couple things there because I saw that article as well. One. Uh, it's worth noting how much of a film can change in post because of how much, I don't want to say just straight CGI they do, but like in the case of I'm sure a lot of gory scenes that Jason Statham assumed would be in the movie they probably never even really shot anything and they were oh, we'll just make it happen in post. And the movie comes out and it turns out it's kind of a different tone than you had expected. That's a little bit of a bummer and that does seem to happen to actors more often now than it used to. Thank you, computer generated imagery. Number two, I think uh, it worked in Warner Brothers favor, which is unexpected. Like I said, it's, that's not something I'm, I'm super into this is the home of bold cinema I like to think that moviegoers are 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 smart intelligent people who are willing to put their hard earned dollars on an in, on a compelling story and not a stupid shark movie but clearly I'm wrong uh, the whole world is is, is burning <laughs> I, I, I've given up on everything this is my last podcast I'll, I'll talk to you all later
1: so w- one of the things that, that I heard about this film I, I heard a discussion of people saying you know you can't really make more shark movies because Jaws is kind of an open and shut like there's nowhere to go from Jaws. Similar, like, there's nowhere to really go from the first Jurassic Park, but people keep trying. Right. And that's exactly what this proves, is that even though we can't really go anywhere with shark movies, people will still make them, and they still make money.
0: Man, this is not adjusted for inflation. They didn't run those numbers. Uh, according to the Hollywood Reporter, this is the biggest opening of all time for a live-action shark pick. This also unseats Spielberg's Ready Player One and Ocean's 8. It made more money than both of those, which uh, stuns me. Like, my God, people, this is what you're going to see. You got a heist movie and a virtual reality movie based, Based on a novel, and this is what you want to spend your money on? Jason Statham chasing a giant CGI shark? Really?
1: We're we're film shaming now.
0: Dude. (laughs) Our next story, (laughs) because I don't have anything else to say about it. This is leading towards December, December 21st specifically. EW put this article out. Hollywood is releasing five tremendously large movies on the same day. The day is December 21st, a day that will live in infamy, Andy. uh, Do you want to rattle off what these are, or should I?
1: Um, Okay, so the ones I see, Aquaman, Uh Bumblebee, Uh the standalone, um, Alita Battle Angel. Yes. And then what else do we have? Uh, Hold on,
0: real quick. I want to break down these movies as we go through them. Uh, uh, Aquaman, Aquaman. of course, is the hot new DC release. It's a total CGI fest. Yep. I don't think it's going to be much, but people are excited about it. Uh, Next, we've got Alita Battle Angel, Angel, Robert Rodriguez film based on the work of, uh, it's James Cameron production, who loved the manga it came from, so that's where that comes from. Pretty CGI heavy, but it's got Christoph Waltz in it, and I love me some Christoph Waltz, so maybe there's something there. Third, Paramount's Bumblebee, which comes off the heels of Transformers 6, I think. (laughs) Yes. Which is, why would anybody see this? It's a prequel, but uh, people like the trailer, and clearly, I I don't know what people are and aren't going to go see, (laughs) because people wouldn't saw the Meg, so it's fine. Next, we have Holmes and Watson, which is not the uh
1: Guy this is Ritchie. surprise
0: Right. This is not the Guy Ritchie, uh, Robert Downey Jr., Jude Law, Sherlock Holmes, uh, which supposedly they're doing a third one of those in 2020, so keep an eye out. There's one of those coming supposedly, but this is the new comedy film from Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, who have not teamed up since Step Brothers. They are the titular Sherlock Holmes and Watson in that order it is a comedy next we have uh robert zemeckis am i talking too much should i let no, you go take ahead that? robert go zemeckis ahead. says, uh welcome to marwen which is the steve carell ptsd little mannequin nazi nazi, nazi things yeah. running around it's one
1: of those it looks really cool but also will be very heavy yeah subject matter it's definitely gonna be heavy
0: and those are all in the same day all of those oh movies gosh. come out on the same day. Like Mary, what are we doing? And
1: Mary Poppins comes out two days before that. Two days
0: before this Disney's Mary Poppin Returns comes out on Wednesday, December nineteenth. That is gonna be one hell of a weekend for this show. Yeah. <laughs> you wanna call your shot, just way out? What do you what do you think uh, we're gonna see? um probably aquaman right i think we i think we've i think we've laid our claim to going to see aquaman i mean we
1: definitely have to see that i of those i'm most excited to see of battle angel really oh wow yeah that one really uh, sticks out to me i'm definitely not excited to see stupid
0: bumblebee i could pass on that
1: i i i have this weird hope that it might be good like they may may, may have like made it like they maybe sure. they got a good writer sure. maybe it's going to be touching and heartwarming maybe. and like a real story perhaps it will be that yeah,
0: I I'm particularly excited a little bit about Mary Poppins. I'll be honest, like I I, I still think the first one was a cool movie. Dick Van Dyke was a good time. Uh, um, oh God, I can't remember her name now. Not Judy Emily, Dench. Emily Blunt. No, oh, uh, um, it was in the first one. It's fine. I totally oh, fly blew it. Oh no, <laughs> uh, I'll remember like halfway through the show. Uh, Emily Blunt is in the new one. Uh, Lin Manuel Miranda. That looks cool, but that's a Wednesday release. I don't know. I, I don't know if we really do Wednesday releases on this show, but we'll. Figure something yeah, out.
1: Yeah, well, it, it's right before the big Christmas break, and so that's what they're ho- that's why they're releasing all these on that Fridays because they assume everyone's going to take the next week off and they're going to have time to see all these movies.
0: I'm kind of excited about Holmes and Watson. Frankly, there hasn't been a trailer out. There's just a set photo, um, but that looks kind of neat. And and Elite Battle Angel. I guess I could take it or leave it, but if you're into it, I'd go see it. If yeah, you to talk about on the show.
1: Yeah, I'll I thought the trailers were pretty cool. It looks
0: more interesting than Aquaman and I'll I'll, I'll give a credit hey like there there's something yeah, there so. which
1: which is at the bottom of the of this stack of five six movies for me it'd be bumblebee for me i think uh <laughs> oh gosh it's rough i think it's kind of aquaman Oh, god
0: you're you're you're, you're king, uh, well, what are you king, <laughs> Aquaman. Yeah,
1: I am your king. Speaking of
0: December, the last story we have uh, for this week: uh, the Oscars. This was some big news in in movies this week, and we can't do this show without talking about it. The Oscars have added a popular film category and are going to slim down their televised awards from four hours to three by moving some of the technical achievements to commercial breaks, essentially.
1: Yes. Andy, you're a tremendous Oscars uh-huh. fan. Yeah. What do you... Uh, so I'm angry that the show's getting shorter. Okay. If anything, it needs to be longer. No, right. it, do, no it doesn't. I'm probably the only person who enjoys watches watching all four hours people, of it. People
0: like that red carpet coverage, man.
1: Um, So the reason they're making this award is to try to appeal... Uh, I mean, just to larger audiences. The most recent show was the... I think they had a huge like 40% drop in viewership. So they're trying to do something to get more people and get younger people in. So they've introduced what I call the Transformers Award to try to just appeal to more mass mass market transformers award (laughs) yeah all right market pending sure (laughs) you know more mass market popular films yeah Uh, but there's a lot of problems with these uh zach what are those
0: well a couple things one and this was my immediate response to this why do we need to give awards to movies that make money they made money what do they need awards for like it it's gonna be fine If if a billion people go see a film do you really need to throw it an oscar too everybody saw it Everybody paid the price of admission. Everybody tweeted about it and talked about it on Facebook. Like, do we really need to acknowledge it more? And, yeah, I mean, I guess I get the idea of, like, well, we should, you know, we should throw a bone to to films that do well. Well, sure, but, like, everybody saw it already. Like, that's not really going to help anybody. And I understand that the Oscars has been lauded for a long time as a essentially technical award category, like categorization, right. right? People people feel like, oh, the only thing that, that gets Oscars are movies nobody sees. Okay, well, on this show, that's not true. And and in general, I think that's, that's, I don't know, the wrong way to think about it, I guess. I've always thought of it as, like, the Oscar, the films that are nominated for Oscars are films I wish I could have seen. Right. The films I wish I could have seen throughout the year that maybe I didn't because I went and wasted my money on other stupid crap like The Meg. <laughs> uh, but... I, a lot of people clearly don't feel that way and and the Oscars folks are just trying to trying to drum up some viewership right, right. slim down the show well, get
1: to the exciting stuff first get to the goods yeah what they've created is essentially a second class citizen of film because we do have Oscar nominated films that are really popular um, they came last summer Dunkirk Huge one of the biggest films of the summer, maybe the biggest film of last summer financially.
0: A couple weeks after that movie came out, I still couldn't get into a sold out screening,
1: right? So, and it is both, and it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director as well. So, it's a film that was incredibly popular, but also was a great film and technical achievement on its own. So, you run the risk of like Shoving a film in that direction, and all this really stems actually back from The Dark Knight, because The Dark Knight was snubbed for Best Picture and Best Director, and that's when they immediately added the ten film category, or that you could add ten films to right, Best Director
0: to try to appeal to that popular audience.
1: Yeah, so there, it, it's um, it's an appeal to popularity. It's backfiring. Everyone in Hollywood has been pretty vociferous about uh, that. This is bad, or this is wrong, or this kind of. You know, just taints the Oscars.
0: Right. And popularity isn't necessarily like exclusive, right? Yeah. I just, because I, when I first heard this category, I thought, well, that could be neat. I'd appreciate it if they would nominated films that maybe made something that would feel unpopular at first popular in the same way that I felt like The Shape of Water told a really cool story. About a, a woman and a fish man. And I was like, I wouldn't think that would be popular. It went on to win Best Picture. That's tremendous. Like, that should be acknowledged in some way. But it already won Best Picture, so you can't do that. It really does feel like you're just putting things in their own separate category. Like, oh, well, okay. Well, I guess I guess the, the the popular, expensive movies will go over here, and then all of our other good stuff will go here. And it's yeah. like...
1: You're not good enough to get our normal awards so we'll, ca- we'll create a special... Trophy. <laughs> it's like a participation trophy, and
0: and it's it's conflicting for me because I think of things like Suicide Squad getting an Academy Award. It's like you guys gave that an Academy Award. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like you're kind of just shoehorning and stuff here, and I don't. I don't really know. I I, I, I guess at first I, I didn't think this was such a bad thing. Uh, I, I was like, well, the Oscars need to change. The Oscars need to, you know, I, I get it. A lot of people are bored. Man, every year I end up Googling, like, who wins the Oscars the next morning because the three-hour show runs to eight and a half hours, okay. and I'm 90 by the time it's over, and, and, and nobody in the rest home is talking about it. And, and like, that's that's my problem. Like, it, it feels like it's long, it's overdrawn, it gets the goods. And then the whole internet was like, no, this is a terrible idea. And I thought, maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was initially incorrect. <laughs> and, and looking back, I think, I think that's fair. I,
1: I uh, so another issue that, that kind of is brought up is that there are other categories that people think need to be created and that should be, um, such as things like best stunt or best ensemble cast or, um, best motion capture. Sure. And these are things that have been discussed and that people, a lot of people are very passionate about that need to be added and nothing, but then they come up with this, you know, achievement in popular film. Mm-hmm. So that was the other issue is that there's de- there's definitely people not getting recognized that deserve to be recognized in some sort of new category, but you came up with this other thing.
0: Right. And, and I guess I get, I get it. It's an award show. You can't please everybody. But this just seems like a decision that nobody's pleased by. <laughs> no. So, well done, Academy. You continue to pander to your audience. That about wraps our stories. Uh, the first film of this week, the newest film that we are watching. Andy, you've graciously agreed to
1: take the uh, summary for this. You want to take it away? Uh, this is uh, Spike Lee's Black Klansman. God bless white America. So this tells the story of rookie police officer Ron Stallworth, uh, played by John David Washington. Uh, he joins the police force of the Colorado Springs Police back in the 70s. He's the first black officer, which in itself causes a little bit of tension on the force and in the town. And he very early um, gets into like undercover slash narcotics and acc- not accidentally, but inadvertently um, infiltrates the Ku Klux Klan over the phone cause he's obviously a black officer. Um, so he infiltrates them, uh, through some pretty, uh, comedic means. And then they kind of set up an operation to keep, to keep eyes on them. And then they have to get, um, Adam driver's character to actually play the white officer to go and actually like meet them and, and try to find out more information. So that's the, the basic setup. Right. What
0: did you think of black Lantern?
1: <laughs> um, so i'm gonna i'm gonna swing for the vent here okay this might be the most important film of the year whoa
0: that is swinging <laughs> for the fence you're coming in no no
1: i'm not no i'm not gonna say it is it it could be we'll see um so let me just start at by saying that it's really funny like it it is marketed as a comedy, a racial comedy if if that's what right uh what you could say um because the, you know you have all these instances where you know John David Washington, who is black, is having to call the Ku Klux Klan and act like a racist person. Sure. And so he has to use a lot of racist language, and these—it's one of these things that makes you so uncomfortable. But it's also meant to be very like funny. Like everyone in the theater is cracking up. You also
0: get this really interesting dichotomy where he's using his uh, what do you call it, King's English versus yes. jive voice, which re- reminded me very much of Sorry to Bother You, another film that uh-huh. came out this year. Fairly coincidental, I guess that happened.
1: Um. So so why? Let me back up. So, why I think it's it's so important, or may wind up being one of the most important films this year, is that it it really focuses in on this issue of white nationalism and the Ku Klux Klan and the history of it within the United States, reaching back a hundred years, also in the present or of the 1970s present, and also present in 2018. Yeah. So that's one of the main main themes. And the thing is, it tackles the issue of of race and culture and heritage in a very complex way. It's not cut and dry. It's not black and white, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, And it it brings up a lot of issues on both sides. And it's like I said, it's all about bringing up shades of gray and not necessarily having a lot of easy answers. Mm -hmm.
0: And it's, it's fairly effective. It's political messaging. But before we get too far into that, I do want to talk about... Just some immediate things, performances, yeah. The film, the you know, the film as as it comes together. <sighs> Let's start with the runtime. Uh, we're looking at over two hours, right? Mm-hmm. Two hours and change. I want to say two thirteen off the top of my head. Uh, I got to be honest, felt a little long in the tooth, and I'll tell you why. Because Spike Lee, and I haven't seen a Spike Lee movie in a while. Uh, last one I think I saw was Jungle Fever, which was mm-hmm. a minute ago. Yeah, uh, Spike Lee is is. He's the kind of director that hits things on the nose, and I forgot how on the nose he can be. I did. Right. There, there's a scene fairly early on in this movie where our our, our titular character uh, goes to uh, Ron, Ron Stallworth, played by John David Washington, goes to a essentially like a, 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 a I, I don't wanna say a Black Panther rally, but it's the guy mm. who used to be a Black Panther, right? And he's it's, giving it's a speech.
1: A, right. It's a thing of the Black Student Union right. is organized. Right. Speaker. And
0: and. Spike Lee does this really cool thing when he cuts to he cuts around this scene as this guy's giving this really powerful speech when it'll cut to him and then it'll cut to people in the audience and the people in the audience are these superimposed shots of different uh, black people like looking up and and, and this like blue light. It's just it's really cool. Look, yeah, and it kind of superimposes it and does it a lot and that's neat. But dude, that scene goes on like ten minutes too long. Like it's so he mm. he films the whole damn speech, and yeah. it's like seven minutes long, and it's like it's powerful, and I'm glad it's there. But that's Spike Lee. Like he, I like to think of somebody like like Christopher Nolan. Like he cuts his films with a freaking razor blade, man. Like everything that is in there has to be in there, it has to be exact. Spike Lee is doing it with a with a rusty knife, and like <laughs> yeah. and that's cool because that's his style. But like my god, the way he edits this film is like. There, there's moments where a scene just goes so long and there's other bits where it cuts so abruptly you get whiplash. You'll remember this. It's after, I think, it's 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 after that scene, it's it's when our, our main character, uh, John David Washington's character, Ron Stallworth, goes on a date with this wonderful young woman who I don't know who she was. Great casting, though. Mm-hmm. Great performance by her. Great performances in this movie throughout. John David Washington was great. Adam Driver was awesome. I liked him in this more than I liked him in Logan Lucky. He was great. Mm-hmm. Um, really well put together. Um they go to a they they go to a disco and they're dancing and they're getting it on and they're having a great time and you've got this soundtrack going and it's a good time and you get this crazy right at the rise of the music in the second verse of this song that again was probably filmed too long you get this hard cut to a disco ball for a second and then you're it's like the next day and you're in the you're in the police office in the middle of a conversation. It is, the, it is the most whiplash I've ever gotten from a film. <laughs> ever. I was like, oh my god, no transition at all. Just hard cut from music, montage dancing to work. And like, maybe there's something to do with the character there. I'd probably have to watch it again to try to figure it out because my, my neck hurt. But like, I, I, it, it was so... Uh, it just felt clunky. I was like, man, <laughs> like, you, you let some things run real long and other things are so quick. And... and it keeps you on your toes. I think that helps with the comedy. Yeah. But for me, it it it's a struggle. I I I right. struggle with that in Spike Lee films. I,
1: for some reason, the time didn't bother me. Like I got out of the theater and I was I was surprised at how late it was. Yeah. Um. So it didn't. I I didn't feel the time. Uh, for some reason.
0: Well, it moves at a good pace.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. I did feel like it. It is, cut and a lot of the, the shots are very carefully, placed and taken. Like uh, the, he does the same. A lot of times when people are on the phone. He shoots him in a, at a like kind of a skewed angle, Dutch angle, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a whole lot of that, and I'm and I'm sure there's more meaning to to why, but it's something that definitely stuck out. And that's one of the things I liked was that there's definitely some real unique, um, this editing going on. Some very kind of iconic. It's a things. lot
0: of unique editing going on. Yeah, there's a scene when a couple of characters are talking about. Um, I think just like black television, black film. Right. Yeah, and they're walking along this path and he'll cut to like hard cut, the full screen, your your whole movie theater screen being the cover of whatever that be, whether it be Shaft or, or one yeah. of the other things he cut to, which is neat. But like when he cuts back to the footage of the people walking, their conversations continued, the footage hasn't advanced at all. He just mm-hmm. used the same reel of of film where he shot these people walking and would literally cut and pause and wait for the – wait for your, 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 your cover of the film to go away and then go right back to the same movie and it was just jarring and I, I like it's just obvious and, and it felt clunky and, mm-hmm. and like there's a few instances of that in this movie where, where he'd make editing decisions and I thought like why the hell did you do that um, leading up to some some certainly some wacky things towards the end of the film but that's for people who go see the movie to find to find out we're not about that here uh, spoilers anyway I, I I covered performances Spike Lee's editing um wh-
1: what do you got? I've been talking a lot here. Um, I mean, uh, music was good. Good score. Music was great. Um, really enjoyed that. Uh, I I just really enjoyed the the conversation that he's having because it's it's not um us versus them. He's not trying to vilify any one type of people or group of people. Um, and he kind of he kind of does a lot of showing both sides. Like there's the police force and the police officers, and there's the black student union, and you know, and he juxtaposes a lot of these um. Images of, like, you know, the Black Student Union chanting black power with the Ku Klux Klan yelling white power. And there's, it's just a real complex thing because, you know, not, and I'm not completely sure what he's trying to say in a number of times, but it's, I don't know, it's just jarring. Mm-hmm. And I, and I enjoy that he's going there. I want to talk a little bit about Adam Driver's character. Yeah. Cause I, I really enjoyed his kind of subplot because he goes from a character who's kind of, um, Indifferent to the issue of race, like he is, he is Jewish and he doesn't really care about it. At one point, he says, "You know, I didn't grow up going to bar mitzvahs or going to temple or right. any of that." Um, but the more he's around, kind of these white nationalists that are very anti-Semitic, the more he kind of starts to think about his own uh, c- culture and heritage and what that means and what that means when someone is actively threatening that. Right. And so, I to me that that was a very it was an interesting subplot.
0: I want to talk about, uh, for a second, um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about this, Topher Grace, yes. who plays David Duke in the film The the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, after he did this movie, uh, he said he was depressed. Yeah. And he ended up, of all things, recutting Peter Jackson's The Hobbit trilogy into one long film, kind of like he did with Star Wars. I think he
1: did the same thing. Uh-huh. He made one supercut of Star Wars at one point. Uh, what did you think of in this movie? Um, I, I thought it was very effective, and if anything, you know, he they make a very clear distinction between you know the Klan guys who want to run around and you know build small small bombs and burn crosses, and what David Duke's philosophy is, you know, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to get away from that. What he's looking at is at real political change. He wants to either be elected himself or get other people into office with his same uh, mentality, and that's pro- probably the most that's like the scarier thing, and that's the more kind of underhanded thing, because um, it just kind of moves. It's just less obvious, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it's that kind of philosophy that I think is a lot more dangerous and a lot more palatable uh, for a lot of people. It
0: was rough, man. I, I was, I, I didn't laugh a whole lot out loud in
1: this movie. A lot of like
0: chuckles, a lot of you know that's funny in my head. But like some of the parts where people in the theater laughed the most were the things I thought were the most stark. The yeah. things that I was like, that is not funny yeah (laughs) yeah that happened to me too that's that's a little too real to be funny and like i I get people expressing themselves through humor that's the same reason people laughed at hereditary because like sometimes the things that that frighten us the most are the things we have to laugh off right um but man this like like i said good god this movie's on the nose like it it does not beat around the bush it is it is very clear in 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 its messaging i think there's certainly a good subsection of society that will not enjoy this movie just just based on um not, not even necessarily racial beliefs. Maybe strictly political, based on where people are in, in, no, in the United States today.
1: I, I think it's it's a it's a careful balance because you you know you want to talk about these r- tough issues, but it's also easy for people to just be turned off by the premise and not go see it.
0: Yeah, and no. I I wonder, like I've always wondered with Spike Lee, I wonder if that's where we're at. Like, are you? Is a film like this starting a dialogue, or is it just a kid? Uh, are like,
1: you preaching to the choir? Are you
0: just shout, Yeah, shouting into the void. Like, are you just saying, "I matter," and here's what I think? Like, uh, you know, and, and I don't know. I, I really don't. I guess time will tell. Um, but man, I can't say. I can't say I didn't enjoy it it's a movie man. Like yeah. Black, Black Klansman was a film. I, 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 I would be surprised if I didn't see this coming up on like a top 10 list at the end of the yeah, year. Yeah, And like that's,
1: and that's exactly why I say, I th- I think it might be, I think it's one of the, going to be, end up being one of the most important movies of the year. Yeah, I think so. Um, Oh gosh. So I just like, so I remembered, uh, did you notice the use of the color red? No. Cause there are certain, uh, I'll just point this out. Um, Patrice's car is red. Sure. Red beat up. Uh, yep. One of the clan members' wives wears this big red dress. She does. And uh, and then,
0: Adam Driver walking around in red, red and black fan, right. flannel. Right. Yeah. And so it's,
1: um, it's there. And at the uh, towards the end of the movie, John David Washington also has a, a red sweater. And no one throughout the whole movie, no one's really wearing any color. It's all. The, uh, it's
0: cold. His his KKK card is red
1: right there you go yeah so it's um again i I would kind of need to see it again and do some kind of analysis and see why but it's it's i think all those things are on purpose because most of the film is kind of in it's it's kind of in winter when this takes place Mm -hmm. so everyone's in like browns and blacks and coats and things like that there's no bright colors except for these few moments so i'd I'd be interested to see what people kind of thought about that, but that that's something that I noticed. Within,
0: yeah, within just the the individual plot, just like putting aside for a second political leanings and 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 like bigger messaging, because this movie wouldn't have worked five years ago. Like it, it works this year now because right. of things that have happened in the past few years. But putting that aside, just talking about the plot for a second, did it feel a little? It almost reminded me of like an Edgar Wright film in the way uh-huh. that in Edgar Wright films things always kind of work out for the, yeah. pr- the protagonist no matter what. Right, and like I, I'm wondering if you felt that way about this movie because things kind of take a turn. You know, uh, like an Edgar Wright film. I, I think uh, our main character Ron Stallworth kind of finds himself in a position towards the end of the film that it's like you, you're you you made your bed and now you got to lie in it. You know. You mm-hmm. said some things to some people. You maybe lied to this person, and like now it's coming back to get you. You're caught in your own web of, of deceit here. And he's an undercover cop. That happens in undercover cop movies. But did it feel a little convenient how it all worked out? Uh, a
1: little bit. I, I I didn't do this, but I wanted to look up the real story and kind of see how right. it all played out, just to see what liberties were and weren't taken. Sure. Oh
0: man, I saw on on on, on Facebook like a week ago. Somebody shared. One of my cousins shared a, a video of. Uh, like oh here's the real Ron Stallworth and his whole story and it's like him in front of a camera and he just tells the whole thing i'm like what are you doing you're spoiling the movie <laughs> yeah like you yeah. ruining it for yourself but it's it's fine um overall man it, this is it's it's rare that because we watch so many movies for this show um and then we watch movies outside of that that we don't even talk about on here it's rare that i watch a movie and go i gotta see it again and like that's how i felt about this i, I got to the end of black clans <laughs> but i was like i can't wait for this to come out on hbo or amazon or netflix or wherever so i can watch it again because it it really is a um it's a very loud piece man it's stunning work yeah. it,
1: it really is it's, it's a bold fighting film <laughs>
0: yeah it's it's fairly bold spike lee is not afraid to speak
1: his mind uh, any other thoughts before we move on to recommendations? There was one last thing I wanted to touch on. Uh so in the movie they they tell um the Black Student Union gets a, 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 the speaker, this older gentleman and he tells a story of Jesse Washington who was um who was lynched by a mob in like 1915 or something. Sure. And uh this is a r- really powerful story because it's juxtaposed that the telling of his story is juxtaposed with the clan members watching Birth of a Nation. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, which is one of the first or earliest American films, but it's right. also about the Klan, um, and that's it, I just thought that was a, a really powerful part of the movie, and also that that, that happened in Waco, really? Like yes, <laughs> oh God, in no, jo- yeah, 1915. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that's chilling. Well,
1: Andy, um, would you recommend Black Klansman? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. It's it's very powerful, and it's it's got a. Um, I think a message that people are starting to kind of realize and wake up to about some of the, you know, things that happened 100 years ago, 50 years ago, and that are still scarily happening now.
0: I I think I I would recommend it as well um, with conditions and and only conditions in the way that I think this is a movie everybody should see. I really do. I don't think it's a movie everybody will enjoy. I think it's a... (laughs) There's people out there that will not like this movie, and 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 that's okay. And like I said, I got I got stuck on the editing, man. It hurt. Like there 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 are scenes in this movie, like oh god, like I, I have a basic education in in film editing, and it, and it and it pains me to see a guy who's been doing it this long editing the way he does. But I know it's intentional. I know he's an auteur. In the same way that Fincher always shoots his stuff on a tripod, man. Spike Lee edits like this, and like that's his scene, and like that's cool. People like him for it. Um, but it's tough for me to get around. Uh, I, I think it's worth watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Black Klansman is worth your time. If if you if you don't go see it in theaters, check it out on Netflix, <laughs> HBO, wherever it turns up. Like it is it is worth a watch. You'll it, at the very least you'll laugh. At the yeah. very least you'll get a laugh out of it. I think if you don't learn anything.
1: Real real quick, um, the intro starts with this um, kind of propaganda videos <laughs> narrated yeah, this, by this, oh, Alec Baldwin.
0: <laughs> Yeah, this is this is gonna be awful. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to fess up to this. this is the first time I've missed missed the beginning of a film, I did not yep. catch the intro. I, I walked in afterwards. Um, I, I walked in on a scene when, and it's funny because at the end of the movie, the the, the credits are in order of appearance. Uh-huh. the first one on there was Alec Baldwin. I was like, oh, I missed Alec Baldwin's movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first scene I caught it was, uh, Ron Stallworth sitting down with what looks to be his like sergeant at the police station and another i I assume black officer talking about him being a cop so that's like a new i guess that's probably right after that scene so
1: uh, so i'll describe the scene real quick because it is kind of peculiar it doesn't relate to anything else that happened in the film but it's basically alec baldwin making kind of racial propaganda films like circa 1950 yeah um but the funny thing is like he he cuts like several takes but he keeps like messing up his lines (laughs) <laughs> and so he keep like you keep you start to laugh because he'll like be saying something terrible but then um he'll he'll mess up a word or something and have to keep doing it and it's uh, I I'm not re- real sure what why this is in the film. It like it doesn't seem extra. It's definitely relatable, but it's it's just like a funny thing that starts it but also sets the mood. But yeah, like I said, I mean he's making these like Nazi type propaganda or like you know white yeah. nationalist propaganda videos but that he but he's also keeps screwing up his lines and it's like it's strangely funny man
0: that was that was really something i like i got stuck on because there's other moments in this film that feel that way it's just like why is this in here like it'll right. you know it's not what, what's the best way to say it? it's not self-contained like it, it yeah. is not just this little story that happened in the 70s like there's clear and present call outs to our current time and day Um, it does not shy away from them. It does not beat them around the bush. There was one bit that I thought, oh, okay, that's a clever way to reference this. And then two scenes later, they're doing it even more so, like directly saying a thing is okay. Like, I I, I got it, Spike Lee. I got it. Like, (laughs) I understand now, you know um that's how he rolls man Tim Burton makes movies that look dark like Spielberg makes movies that are family movies Spike Lee is is a political dude that is his scene yeah definitely yeah and by political I mean mostly racial but this movie kind of I don't know kind of kind of blurs those lines and that's why I mean I'm like people will get offended by this even if you agree with everything he's saying on a racial basis like it's funny so check it out Black Klansman God, what a tough movie to review. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, we're (laughs) really struggling. All right, well, with that being said, we need to move on to our next segment, which is The Death of Cinema. (laughs) Today, we're talking about movies in August. And I feel okay about doing this because we did at the beginning and end of the summer a bookend looking forward at what we have to look at in summer and one in our last episode looking backward. Movies we saw in summer. Today we're gonna talk about movies in August. (laughs) Just this month. Oh no. And the reason yes, the reason we're going to do that is because August is a grim month
1: at the movies. Yeah. I used to say January was a grim month at the movies.
0: And and do you mind explaining why that is to people who don't know?
1: So we have these movie seasons where we get the big hits, you know, sure. uh, late October through November, December, we get Oscar stuff and some other big budget stuff. You get you uh, maybe some
0: good horror in October. Yeah. Like you get, you get some good, some yeah. good bites in there. Yeah.
1: And then you have obviously the summer blockbuster season and then you kind of have the pre-summer blockbuster season as mm-hmm. well where some things, um, and th- places like January are just a real drought. And that's usually when I catch up on Oscar movies. Um, But then also August, September, right after the the summer blockbuster season, uh, it's just usually really bad. That's usually where the throwaway movies are going.
0: Right, and it it, it makes sense from a couple standpoints. One, uh, popular films will clump together naturally. Uh, I mean, you can look at our story about December 21st for a reason for that. But also, like, people aren't going to... Like, we live in a world where Hollywood execs will not expect... Families uh, who were I assume, usually the audience for movies, especially in summer, to go see movies all year. Like you're not going to do it. You know, you're only going to see a few movies out of the year. best Best case scenario, you kind of clump them together. So if you go see the Avengers, you see trailers for something else that looks cool, right? And like yeah. that's the whole that's the whole thinking behind it is you get to you get people to go see movies a few times out of the year, and you kind of pick your poison. So they go see a few in in. Uh, in, in summer, um, December is, uh, usually the busiest month at the movies, believe it or not. Uh, December 25th is historically the busiest day of any, any theater yeah. in America, Christmas day, which is wild. That's when you get people going to movies, right? People are out of town, people are on vacation, they spend time with their families, they're sick of hanging out with them. They want to sit <laughs> in a room for two hours and be quiet. You go to the movies. So like, that's how that happens. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. The problem is the the dumping ground that has become the in-between, <laughs> yeah. specifically January, and January's looking a little better this year, but January in the past has had movies like Resident Evil 5, Underworld 4. Like You, you get movies that are not good, like yeah. bad movies in January. Bad
1: movies that might still s- succeed and turn a profit.
0: And the reason it's important to look at January is because I would presume, and I think it's always been this way, August is quickly becoming one of these months when yes. it's like crappy oh, movies abound. And we, we're saying this because we're, we're planning this show and we're trying to figure out what we're going to talk about next and what movies we're going to do. And we're looking at August like, my God, <laughs> especially coming off of summer where every week there were like two movies we could go see yeah. that like both seemed like compelling. Now you got to fall on your sword. Yeah, there's movies we missed on this show that we want to talk about. We talked about that last episode. Go back and check it out. But this month, August know what the hell we're gonna do like it's all bad there's no bold cinema it's the opposite it's boring <laughs> cinema
1: yeah uh that's a, i think that's the disappointing part is that it it's not even anything exciting or anything like even like something as ridiculous as the meg um most of jan of uh, sorry august is just so much is mediocre. Like, I don't even, I wouldn't even watch this on Netflix kind of cinema. And, and I
0: don't, right. super bland. And I don't think it used to be this way. I, I pulled up some, some, some numbers. All right. Some, some previous releases in August. If you don't mind, you mind queuing us up while I'm doing this with current releases. What's well, coming out sure. this month so we can get people ready? All right. So in 2015. Three years ago, it wasn't so bad. Okay, we had The Man from Uncle, which was a cool movie. I know a lot of people said that was good. We had Fantastic Four, which was a big flop. Uh, American Ultra, straight out of Compton, came out in August of 2015. Not not so bad. All right, in 2016, we had Sausage Party, uh, the Ben Hur remake, which is not great. Don't Breathe, that was that movie, the horror movie about the the blind guy and, and the the kids there in his house. You had War Dogs with Miles Teller. Suicide Squad was in August of 2016. All right, so not great, but not bad. Still some honorable mentions. Suicide Squad was supposed to be big. Then in the last year, 2017, we had The Dark Tower starring Idris Elba. Big flop out of Sony. We had Annabelle Creation. It was Warner Brothers. Also didn't do that great. Uh, We had the Halle Berry film Kidnap, which... Nobody Uh, saw, and we had the Hitman's Bodyguard, Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson. That was probably the big one out of last year, and even
1: that didn't do that well.
0: What do we got this year?
1: Uh, Well, of course, we did have Black Klansman. We had Black Uh, Klansman. A big surprise. great Great movie. Uh, But the next couple of weeks are kind of dry, so we have Mile 22, which is the uh, Mark Wahlberg, Peter Berg action vehicle. Yep. Uh, Crazy Rich Asians, which is a contemporary romantic comedy. Uh, Alpha, which is... <laughs> it, I've been seeing trailers for this movie for, like, a year, I swear. It, it's about, like, you know, the bond between man and dog Nobody and how chance. that... Yeah. <laughs>
0: that's, that's... The most curious thing about that film is wondering how it got greenlit. Like, how did that actually get made? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, gosh, that's that's actually... Let me... That's uh, about uh, it. That, yeah, that, that's really about about it. It's about... Oh, hang on. So I know that's, week that's this week Week after... Happy Time Murders The Happy Time Murders the puppet film yes Searching which is the uh John Cho internet movie a movie where you got to watch a screen the whole time Right it's like Unfriended but it's supposed to actually be a little bit more compelling than Unfriended Right yeah oh God. Um and then towards the end of the month it uh, let's see Operation Finale I don't think that's wide release though something called Kin The Little Stranger which is it's like a drama horror uh with director Len- lenny abrahamson who and did room
0: yeah dom hall gleason is the titular character i think
1: but that's it so in like the next three weeks there's one movie that we're interested in seeing right
0: and and hey shout out real quick i don't want to brush this off shout out to the uh equal representation of asian culture and film great i don't know if doing it in a film called crazy rich asians is the best way to go but it's fine uh, something's happening, and John Cho is a leading man. That's neat, you know. In searching, yeah. like I, I can get behind that. I I don't know what what a show like this is supposed to do in the dry seasons, you know
1: that's that's Uh, really the question you know what some of the big uh time podcasts do what they take time off yeah (laughs) we're going on a cruise it's the off season (laughs) yeah we're going on a cruise see you in three uh, weeks somebody
0: else hosts the show for two weeks and to be fair we may be taking a week off very soon more about that (laughs) at the end of the show but i i i don't is there a solution because I i don't think january used to be that bad i think it's kind of it's kind of coming around
1: well here's the thing it's like It's hard to release movies every single weekend of Of the year. It's 52 52 weekends. However, there is money to be made on every single one of those weekends. So so someone's going to make it.
0: Right. And and there's certainly a case to be made for outliers. I know we talked about Stephen King's It.
1: When did that come out? Uh, late September. Yeah, and nothing good
0: comes out in September. Yeah, and that comes out and
1: is huge. Nothing good is coming ever. out this September. Either. Right,
0: like so that it's worth noting. Like there, there is money to be made here. Uh, Christmas did not used to be a huge release. That that was not yeah, t- typically a thing. And then James Cameron Star comes Wars. along. Yeah, Star Wars does their thing. James Cameron says we're going to put out Titanic in December. We're going to put out Avatar in December, and suddenly Christmas holidays, I should say, uh, is a big season at the movies. So like these things ebb and flow. All right, mm-hmm. but for some reason August seems to be on the
1: downslide. I bet I feel like part of it's probably the numbers. They they probably they have the heavy accountants who say you the know we're, we're only going to make this. We there, our potential earnings in August is only this much, so your right. budget is only this much, which apparently is bad. Right. And yeah, that that's where they put the risky projects or things that are just you know, well, we made it. It's probably going to flop or something. Let's see if we can make some sort of profit off it
0: right it, it's low competition it's not going up against anything big that's certainly the case of mile 22 and the new yeah. action flick i'd have, had a friend ask me uh, you know why, why aren't you excited to go see that because we saw blockbusters all year hi ryan by the way shout out to you uh yeah i i i i, I don't really have an answer i guess it's it's streaming just streaming going the, the go, going back to back catalogs that's right older film. The back catalog and speaking of streaming we should probably move on to our last show of the show The last movie of the show That's what I was going to say This is Clint Eastwood's Million Dollar Baby There's magic Of fighting battles Beyond endurance It's the magic Of risk in everything For a dream That nobody sees But you So I had seen this movie Before the podcast <laughs> And I knew it came out Obviously 2004 I was alive then I promise uh, But you had You were a big fan of this
1: Yes Right favorite uh clint eastwood film right
0: i i had not seen it Uh, i i the the most recent uh eastwood films i had seen were mystic river and gran torino both of which i really enjoyed i think there's one other one in there but i don't remember what it is off the top of my head uh american sniper no i skipped that one it gets blurry after gran torino for me like that's where i start to lose lose the thread of 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 uh eastwood films, but Million Dollar Baby was a big deal in 2004. Won a lot of awards. All right. Let me lay out the plot for you and this is going to sound awful. Uh, We talked about this before the show. I'm going to be honest. I don't remember a whole lot of the character names. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. Because this movie has great casting. Not only because of like its titular characters, uh, the big ones who are featured on the cover, Hilary Swank, Clint Eastwood, Morgan Freeman. It's also got Uh, some other great people I want to add that I'll get into in a minute before that the plot stars before they were stars I'm getting to it Frankie Dunn a veteran Los Angeles boxing trainer played by Clint Eastwood keeps almost everybody at arm's length except for his old friend and confidant played by Morgan Freeman his name is Eddie Scrap Iron Dupree according to IMDB Uh, Maggie Fitzgerald played by Hillary Swank shows up at his gym one day this 31 year old woman says I want to be a fighter and he goes well I don't train girls and you're too old he's got a million reasons not to do it and eventually he comes around she she shows how committed she is uh he comes around and and decides he's going to take her on and they 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 form this incredible bond and that's essentially million dollar baby and there's a whole (laughs) bit i'm leaving off on the end and we'll get to that uh we're not a super spoilery show uh but at some point we need to talk about the third act of this film yes (laughs) it's it's an act man it's something uh andy what did you think of million dollar baby
1: so like i said before this is one of my this is my favorite Clint Eastwood film. is one of my favorite films of all time. Um, it's an incredibly inspiring story, and it's it's about so many things aside from boxing. Like it uses boxing and the story of this boxer to talk about much larger things. And I'm all you know. I'm all about themes and meanings and kind of underlying uh, currents in in film. And this has a lot of that. It you know it's about um, going after what you want in life. It's about going after your dreams against all odds. It's also about family that I think that's probably what I got most uh, out of this recent watching was it's kind of theme of a family and what is and isn't a uh, family in that. And there's, there's so many good things in it. Um, uh, I was going to say Morgan Freeman, uh, incredible voiceover. He, he narrates the film and very similar to, um, the Shawshank Redemption. It's sure. that kind very of very familiar, yeah. Um, but nothing is is wasted. All all the major plot points, the subplots, the characters. The characters have so much depth, and I just feel like no scene and no amount of dialogue or anything is is wasted in the film. And there's so much wisdom that that's spouted off uh, by Morgan Freeman's character and Frankie Dunn. And yeah, it's it's just incredible performance by Hilary Swank. Like she got super ripped for the role. Um, and like the fights look and sound really real. It's none, none of this like Rocky Balboa getting punched <laughs> for 15 rounds. I was going to disagree, but go ahead. <laughs> I'll, I'll point out my disagreement in a minute. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I really lo- love this film. It's it's really inspiring. And I think it's just perfectly written uh, by Paul H- Haggis, who would go on to win next and the following year um, crash. Yeah. Which a lot, of which most people hate.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, here's where I land on this. One, I want to re- I want to return to the casting. Um, brilliant casting. I-, 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 I don't recall who exactly the casting director was. But they did a great job. Not only do we have Clint Eastwood, Hillary Sprank, and Morgan Freeman, we also have some very young performances by one Jay Burchell. We're to do a lot of comedy. Things like This is the End with the Apatow crew. Mike Coulter, who now plays Luke Cage, is in this movie as a fighter. Uh, we got Anthony Mackie. Yeah, a, and a very fascinating performance as, as a rival character that I didn't think would be in this movie. Michael Pena is in this movie yeah. as a very very young young Michael Pena. Yeah, he's he's walking around here. We've got a handful of others that I was I was very surprised to see. Very young <laughs> casting. Like you you were really picking your shots early. Yeah.
1: And uh, character actress Margot Martindale.
0: Yeah, I was. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Right. It's advice. funny because I saw her picture on here and was like, oh yeah, I know her. She's in things. <laughs> uh, God. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I also want to talk about this feeling of familiarity in the film. Uh, Eastwood is traditionally, of course, a Western man. That's where that's where he's known before his directing career. And this movie had really fascinating echoes of that in the way it was made. He uses this really clever combination of a wide lens. Uh, specifically, I, I have a scene in, in particular that I can reference for this. Uh, there's a scene after... Frankie and, and, and Maggie are, are at a fight and it's it's right after they finished a fight and they're hanging out by the ring having dinner together. They're just talking. And, and Eastwood lights this movie in a really fascinating way, whereas the blacks in this movie are so dark. Like yeah. The shadows on somebody's face will blend into the black of the background and you cannot see where their face ends and the background begins. Like, And it's really, really well done. And he combines this really interesting lighting technique that reminded me a lot of old westerns. In the way that, like, in that scene I'm talking about, Maggie's face is kind of half-lit, and you can kind of see the side of her face, and Eastwood's face is lit so particularly, he has light so pointed on just his face, his chin and his forehead, you can't see where they start and yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah. It just blends into the, into the blackness that is the background. Like, you only get... His face, and like, there's a lot of that lighting in this movie. It's really clever, and he shoots with a wide lens to get what felt like an old school Western scene. It's what it felt mm-hmm. like it felt like two, like I would be watching two people in a Western sitting at a bar talking about something, and and instead we're in modern day boxing arena. Really fascinating, and 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 that's also contrasted to be fair against a couple shots that are are what felt like horrendously edited. There's one scene in particular <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you remember when. Uh, Frankie and and Eddie Scrap Iron Dupree, played by Morgan Freeman, are at Frankie's gym for the first time. I think this is the first time we get to talk to him. And Frankie's up in his office, and and Morgan Freeman goes up to talk to him about this girl that's downstairs training. And you get this wacky shot when Morgan Freeman walks in, and you get this like double exposure thing they did yeah. where they place. You see, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, where they put Clint Eastwood's face on. It's like whoa, like it looks horrible. It looks like somebody smeared half the film with Vaseline. Um, and, and that's odd but like clearly he was trying he was trying new things he was going with what he knew worked yeah. and he, he would kind of pioneer and try to do something different it paid off man the movie won best picture so as far as the way it's shot like it's really clever and it's, it's clunky at first to, to get into but like I it's a long movie and, and I fell into it yeah. definitely
1: yeah yeah well I was gonna say yeah he very strategically uses shadow um, throughout the film there's a number of scenes where people kind of walk into a scene from complete darkness yeah. and, and there's lots of things uh, yeah like you said where people's faces are obscured by by the by the darkness
0: mm-hmm. which reminded me a lot of um, definitely Gran Torino I got vibes from that like right. I, I don't know just a very similar I mean it's the same same director it makes sense um, I did want to talk about kind of the arc of our Technically not main character. Maggie Fitzgerald is not necessarily the main character of this film. Right. right. No, she's not. Uh, I would say that honor goes to Mr. Eastwood. Uh, I want to talk about kind of kind of her journey. The movie makes its claim very early. They say, you're, you're too old and it takes four years to train a fighter. Mm-hmm. And then when he finally decides to take her on and train her, I assumed we'd get some kind of jump in time two years later. Something like that. Right. You don't she she learns everything she needs to know in one and a half years which they cover over the course of probably an hour of, of screen time right that right? you kind of get all of that build up and it's just a series of matches where she continues to crush people um it's it's effective because it it made me feel cautious it, i i kept thinking when's this going to go wrong right when, when is she going to lose what's going to happen like she keeps winning and winning and winning and she's unstoppable this is all too convenient, you know, like, and especially in a movie where, again, you have these little patches of light and then, like, echoes of blackness, like, it just feels like somewhere along the way it's all going to go wrong, right? right. Uh,
1: and in the third <laughs>
0: act, things turn around in a way that I, I, I don't know if we should talk too much about, but did, did it feel, this is a movie you really like to you, Did it? does it feel effective, does it feel worth it, I guess?
1: Uh yes definitely because I think one of the messages of the movie it's it's not about the quantity of life it's about the quality of life right you know um it, there's a great speech towards the end that Scrap says it's, it says you know people die every day mopping floors, uh, washing dishes, and the last thing they think is that well I never got my shot so it's you know it's a story about someone who had nothing um, Maggie Fitzgerald and, you know one of one of the early descriptions is you know she grew up new in one thing she was trash. And you know, so she comes from nothing. She has nothing. She has this terrible family. Oh and, God, the family is horrible. Yeah, and she and she gets to rise through the ranks. And this isn't this isn't really an underdog story because like she wins from the beginning. Like she is, cr- she's like Mike Tyson, like crushing peep boxers, yeah. embarrassing people in the ring yep. from the beginning. Um, so it's it's not it's, it's not an underdog story, but it's about you know, but she has nothing. She has no support from her family. They laugh at what she does. They laugh that she's she's a fighter.
0: I mean, they tell her at one point to her face, people laugh at you like it's savage and it's portrayal yeah. of, of this woman's family and her upbringing.
1: Well, that's one of the things that I like I said, I mentioned this earlier about family that I, re- that I really took away this um, on this viewing where, you know, it's it kind of brings up the issue of like what is and isn't your family because they they. Uh, they kind of all have estranged families. Uh, Clint Eastwood has uh, an estranged daughter and assumed wife uh, that who he writes to every week and who re- rejects his letters every week. Um, Maggie is estranged from her family. They're really terrible. We don't know anything about scraps ba- background or his family, but they kind of m- create a makeshift family between yeah. the, th- the three of them. And so I, th- I think that was one of the, kind of the powerful messages of the movie is we can create family out of just good people around us. I did want to talk about the fight
0: choreography. Wasn't so impressed. <laughs> okay. There's just like, it's not that it's not effective. It is. And it's cut really well. And like it's shot really well, but there's, they're like, I don't know who folied the movie, but like some of the punch effects just don't match the punches. Oh, on screen. They just okay, sound okay. very generic. They all sound the same. And it's like, okay, if you, there would be a difference in whether or not you sucker punch somebody and, and uppercut them. Versus like a light whiff on the side of the, you know the side of your stomach or something like it would sound different and I'm not I'm not a boxer maybe I'm wrong <laughs> but like as a moviegoer if I'm taken out of the experience by the effects of the sound right. then it's not effective so I, I don't know that was a sticking point for me so
1: so to me the I remember this the fights sound a lot more brutal than I remember in other films like I remember wincing and I, when I've seen the movie with other people like they wince as well because it's just like. Wow that that sounds like it really hurts.
0: <laughs> I also think uh, there there's a a pivotal injury in mm-hmm. the film. Yeah, towards the end of the second act.
1: Uh Didn't feel that genuine to me. Didn't buy it, yeah. It kept it it's kept it's, a clung, away. it's a little it's a little clunky. You you
0: get you get like two shots, maybe three shots of the actual incident and then a whole lot of Clint Eastwood reacting to it. And it's like okay. Yeah. It just didn't feel as I, I want to say something like visceral, but it's true, man. Like you look at something like uh, what was that movie you were talking about just the other day? Uh, Gone Girl, uh, right? You, have you seen Gone Girl? Yeah, man. Like what Rosamund Pike does to Neil Patrick <laughs> Harris's character in that movie is savage, and like you get a whole lot of that. In fact, Fincher put fades in to try to help take the edge off a little bit because it was so like rough to watch. In this movie. It kind of it feels like it pulls that punch a little bit, and like I almost wish it didn't. I, mm-hmm. I but I can't I can't criticize a movie for what it isn't. I have to appreciate it for what it is. So that's a little bit of an unfair critique, right? Some um, of it, and
1: the I mean, there's a couple of other injuries. Maggie breaks her nose at, at one point. See that that was raw, man. That was good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was like, my
0: god, like, um, that's rough. Yeah,
1: I mean, there's another part where uh, you know she gets a, a re- she gets a, a cut opens up over her eye, and so you. Uh, to me, it was much more authentic than a lot of kind of uh, boxing movies are.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, and, and it's 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 difficult for me to think of a of a rival uh, to this in the boxing realm. Um, not only because of the awards it's won, but just because of the way it's put together. Like I think of a movie like Warrior, starring Tom Hardy. That was the last one I think I saw. There's that Gyllenhaal flick, uh, Southpaw. Right. Yeah. Like, neither of them left an impression like this one did. So even if, like, I had issues with it, like, overall, the this movie is so much better than the sum of its already excellent parts. Right. It's really well put together. It's, right. It's just a really cool flick.
1: It just has such excellent characters and their relationships between, between each other. Like, even Clint Eastwood and Scrap, they have this great... Like multi-decade friendship, sure. That um, you know is a very important part of the movie. But they also they both have their unique relationships with Hilary Swank and other characters in the movie. And it's just it's to me it's so it's so perfect.
0: Right. I I love uh, a common critique I've heard of, of character writing in film is that characters shouldn't exist in the film just to move the plot along. They should have their own problems as well. And everybody in this movie has one. Everybody in this movie has their own issues. And like the plot to this film is almost secondary to the things they deal with in their life. Anthony Mackie's character is this entitled uh, fighter who's just a jerk to Jay Burchell's character. Yeah. And Jay Burchell's character, Danger, is always getting up for the next fight. Like, he's all, he doesn't yeah. care. He's the skinniest guy at the gym, but he's going to make it work. You've got this wonderful performance by Brian F. O'Byrne, who plays Father Horvac in the film, who is the... Uh, Spirit, Clint Eastwood's spiritual priest. guide yes yeah. yeah, spiritual guide and he's got his own problems man like he, <laughs> he hates dealing with Clint Eastwood and he's like god you know I, I do a service every day and you show up and damn it I'm sick of dealing with your crap and he's a priest he's supposed to be a nice guy but he's conflicted like everybody in this movie has problems they feel like real people because like they
1: feel genuine like the rest of us do mm-hmm. yeah um it's interesting I want to bring up what you talked about uh Anthony Mackie and Jay Berusha you know we they're they're brought up as kind of opposites of a spectrum because we hear very early on. Uh, Scrap says, you know, some some people say the most important thing a fighter can have is heart, and Frankie would say, it. show me a fighter who's all heart, and I'll show you someone getting ready for a beating. Yeah. And so you have these two characters like uh, Jay Baruchel, who's danger, uh, is is all, yeah. Heart, yeah. is all heart, is all heart, totally, all yeah. heart, not a lot of skill. <laughs> and then Anthony Mackie is described as the opposite. He said he's, he had a left hook that would move a tank. Yeah. But he had no heart. And so, we kind of see these characters, and and they end up clashing uh, later in the film. But at at the end of the day, it seems that, you know, heart is what kind of wins out.
0: hmm Yeah, uh, I, I think that's. Man, there's a lot of different messages you can take away yeah. from this movie, but that's certainly one of them. Yeah, it's 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 an it's an ending. It really yeah. is. It's, it's this movie because I didn't know it reminds me of like the sixth sense like a kid nowadays (laughs) or even when i was a kid you'd hear people say something like i see dead people but like you don't really know where it's going yeah that was this movie i didn't know where this movie went (laughs) like i wasn't ready yeah this is this is i i sat down to watch this movie with one cocktail which is perfect because it's the most sobering movie i've ever seen in my life my god (laughs) it brings you down uh so well it brings you down and then picks you back up Uh, i should i should clarify it's a roller coaster of a movie um but man uh million dollar baby
1: yeah. And there was some controversy when it came out because of, of the ending and we don't want to get into spoiler territory, but there is a, there is some tragedy and um, what happens in the movie and the reaction to that makes sense in the realm of the movie to me. Mm-hmm. Um, however, a lot of people had issues with it and had problems with uh, those things. Yeah.
0: I think, uh, well, before we get to this, there's one other thing I want to talk about around this movie. Um, but before we get to that, formal recommendations. I think. What do you What do you think, Andy? Would you recommend Million Dollar Baby?
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's my it's my fa- It's one of my favorite films of all time. My favorite Clint Eastwood movie. Oscars all around. I, I think um, Clint Eastwood. He didn't like. He was nominated for Best Director. He's the only one who didn't win. But Morgan Freeman, Hilary Swank, Best Picture, Best I think adapted sp- screenplay screenplay because it's a, a adapted from a group of short stories uh, by FX Tool.
0: I'll have to remember that next time I hear uh, somebody say a director got snubbed for best director. I'm like, dude, Clint Eastwood, million dollar baby. Like everybody won except him. How does yeah. that happen? How does director put a movie together and not actually win the big time? Um, yeah, th- this movie is totally <laughs> worth your time. So, like I said, a little long, um, but but it's worth it. I, I did I did find myself about a half because it's only like two hours. I think it's not that a little long. over two, two 13, hours. I think. Uh, yeah, at an hour in, I was like, okay, where where is this going? Because the first act really drags; it takes a long time to get off the ground. Uh-huh. The second act I felt like moves real fast, and the third act is 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 it's not probably, over probably too, too soon, but my god, does it feel like it moves fast? Like because it, it's like a left hook; it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. So watch out. But other than that, man, Million Dollar Baby is totally worth your time. Uh, probably not a great like date night movie. Probably more of like a now introspective, uh, appreciator, bold cinema. Yeah, kind Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like if you, if you're looking for something that'll really make you step back and you, feel like, okay, this you is, you
1: gotta be careful with that because you know, I'm, I've done it before where I recommend something that's like really heavy because I'll, because it's yeah. really good, and then right. they're like, why did you tell me to watch that? It's heavy.
0: This is a heavy movie, yeah. Uh, but if, if you're if you're looking for something with a little bit of punch to it, like Million Dollar Baby is totally worth the price of admission. It's available on Netflix. Do not miss it before it goes. Uh, it's worth your time. And with that, that about wraps our episode. I want to talk about what we're getting to next. But before we get there, I, I just thought about this, talking about this movie. Uh, and maybe folks online can have, it, have an opinion. Andy, this movie is 14 years old yeah <laughs> Are we, should we still talk around spoilers, like or should we just break the mold and I mean, should we have some
1: kind of cap? How do we do this? I mean, probably. I mean, it's it's pretty old. It's old, man. Like, is it really worth... But I do want to give... Like, if we go to spoiler territory, like, you got to give people a warning. Right, case. And,
0: and I feel weird about that. I feel like we're alienating the people who have seen the movie and appreciate it like we do, who, who managed to listen to this whole segment, because they're going to be like, well, why don't you talk about what happened at the end? Why not? It's 14 <laughs> years old. And the people who haven't seen it, they're going to feel like we're just confusing and, like, they don't know what we're talking about, which maybe will entice them to go see it. But uh, this is a, this is a podcast about bold cinema. And this is the boldest of cinema, and I, I don't know why we're uh, beating the bush. And it's bush. new.
1: And it's new on. Well, it is new on on Netflix. It new, is new to streaming. So I don't know. know.
0: I, I t- tell you what. If you have any thoughts on this, write us, please. Yeah, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Uh, drop us a Facebook message. Tweet at us. We'll get to that. Either way, like let us know. If you think it's worth us talking about spoilers, if you enjoyed our our conversation about Black Klansman, if you did not like our conversation about Million Dollar Baby or vice versa, either way, we'll take it. Let us know. Uh, Fill us in. If you have something you think we should watch, if you think August movies suck too, if you think we're wrong and August is great, fill us in. We're excited (laughs) to talk about it. We'll read your review on the air. We swear. Uh, Next week, we're taking the week off, Andy. (laughs)
1: Because there's just... You know, we've been thinking about uh, this for two weeks what to watch next week we've been and we just, sweating this and it's just like we we didn't want to watch anything that was coming out here's the deal we tried
0: it's not that we don't want to watch it we talked about it because because we if we thought about anything here it's crazy rich asians yeah mile 22 like i'm sorry i, I we're burned out on blockbusters we watch a lot of blockbusters it's just another blockbuster if we were going to watch it it'd be to just laugh at mark Wahlberg. but it's not particularly bold and for this podcast it doesn't really scratch the itch for me. Yeah, Crazy Rich Asians is kind of the same thing on the opposite spectrum. I like the idea of of, of equal representation in Hollywood, and I want to support that. But like, we didn't we didn't go see Mamma Mia. Like, we're not we're not we're not we're not about the romantic dramedies. Like, we just
1: ah, uh, that's yeah. kind of
0: not our scene. It doesn't have to be that way. I'm I'm sure at some point we will see things like that. But that's where we're at. And and ultimately, we had to decide whether or not it was worth going to see a movie this week or next week because next week the big release is.
1: The Happy Time Murders. The
0: Happy Time Murders, which neither of us particularly want to see, but we can't take two weeks off, for God's sake. We probably yeah. shouldn't be taking any weeks off. So if we're going to take off one, we're going to take off this next week. We will we, we'll be returning uh, the week after with our Happy Time Murders review, God willing, and it'll be great, uh, I hope. I I I hope it's a laugh. I really do because I'm, I'm a little skeptical going in, I'll be honest. So that's that. Uh, from that any, any closing thoughts Andy before we
1: no, nope. I think we're ready to wrap
0: offscriptfilmreview.com is our website check it out leave us a note we're happy to have you from all of us here at Offscript the home of Bold Cinema I'm Zach Lewis and I'm Dr. Draper thanks for listening